Hi, I'm Sam Hawley, coming to you from the lands of the Gadigal people. This is ABC News Daily. Business wants more workers, unions want more money for workers. But can the job summit at Parliament House deliver both? Today, Alan Kohler on whether the talk fest can actually bring about the change the economy needs. Alan Kohler, there seems to be this huge amount of anticipation around this jobs summit. We seem to have been talking about it for weeks and weeks. So I want to get you to help us unpack what it's all about and what's actually going to change after it. It's not the first time Labor's held a summit like this, is it? No, in fact, it's the third. Uh, Bob Hawke held a national economic summit, as he called it, in um, April 1983, which was a month after he Mr. was elected. Hawkins, 27 ministers arrived here for the swearing-in ceremony that would put them in government. This year, though, was the, the public relations spectacular of the decade, NES, NES, the National Economic Summit. And uh, he then held a tax summit in 1985. The irony is that one of the things that came out of the, the 1983 summit was that uh, business was all over the place. They, they, didn't, they didn't speak with one voice. And uh, Peter Abels got up at the end of that summit and said, business must speak with one voice. And as a result of that, the Business Council of Australia was formed immediately after that summit. And it was the Business Council of Australia that shot down, <laughs> shot down the... Uh, GST in 1985 at the tax summit. So um, be careful what you wish for, I guess. Mm. I mean, we would have had, if if it wasn't for the Business Council of Australia, we would have had a GST in 1985 instead of uh, when John Howard did it. So anyway, uh, Kevin Rudd had one, another one in uh, 2007 after he was elected. And um, that was a massive affair. He invited a thousand people. And there's a Wikipedia page of all of the attendees, which is quite interesting to look at. And there are quite a few coalition uh, politicians there, but I can't find Brendan Nelson, who was the um, the opposition leader at the time, but Mm. (laughs) he didn't last long anyway. (laughs) Uh, I understand this time the opposition leader won't be going either. No, but the leader of the the National Party will be. Mm. ...represents solely regional rural Australia. We very rarely get our voice heard. We're the forgotten Australians, and it was important that no matter how hollow this may be, that we turned up. Yeah, so look, the 2007 summit is regarded as a bit of a fizzer because, you know, nothing much happened. And the trouble also is that a thousand people, it's a lot of, you know, it's a bit bit uh, unwieldy, really. Mm-hmm. Um, this one's meant to have, this Jobs and Sills Summit this week is meant to have 100. It's blown out to 142, which is very typical of a wedding. Oh, but not as fun, I would think. <laughs> well, no, no, weddings always start at 100 people and then go out to 150 because... All these members of the family have to be invited and I presume that's what's going on this time. Exactly, and there's obviously an extra two there because it's got to 142, so there's two that they couldn't couldn't resist. So, Alan, it sounds like it's more of a Labor thing, these summits, though, not so much of a coalition. You you talk a lot about Kevin Rudd and Bob Hawke. It's a a Labor thing, is it? Coalitions never have summits and the reason Mm. for that is very simple. Because whereas Labor is perfectly happy to talk to business, the coalition does not want to talk to unions Mm. at all. And the last thing any coalition um, leader or politician wants to do is sit in a room and listen to union leaders make speeches. We've got 33 union officials sitting around a table of 142. So I think this union summit really is going to be top heavy. 
and the small business community uh, is going to be completely overlooked. And I think so they just don't do it. They talk to business people over lunch. I mean, the thing about the summits for Labor is that Labor always comes in trying to create a national consensus and to more cooperation because uh, typically the coalition government prior to them coming in has been divisive. You know, they tend to particularly go after the unions. Uh, so there's kind of this national division. So I think, that, to be honest, I think the main thing, the main purpose of this Jobs and Skills Summit this week is to set up a sense that we're heading towards more cooperation and more consensus in the economy and, and in society um, as it is to negotiate something between a business, business and unions and as to whether they actually do negotiate something, well, who knows. Okay, so we're looking for some consensus between business and and unions. I just want you to give me a sense of how the jobs market has changed over time when it comes to business and unions. What have we seen change since the 1970s, the 1980s, for instance? Well, well the main thing that's relevant is that the union membership has declined from 50 percent of the workforce in 1983 to 15 percent now. So the ACTU and the unions generally um, are much less relevant. I mean, so so it's very much in their uh, best interests to be dealt into this process to be given more relevance. And one of the reasons for the for the irrelevance of unions, in my view, is the introduction of enterprise bargaining in 1991. The federal government is already preparing to cut off a wages blowout as the economy recovers. It's anxious to reach a new accord with the unions, setting targets to avoid big pay demands that trigger inflation. The underlying assumption with enterprise bargaining is that workers' pay rises will be offset by increases in their productivity. But the question is, how will that be measured? So, Alan, enterprise bargaining's a process of an employee and an employer negotiating together. Just explain that more for me. So prior to that, uh, there was collective bargaining, you know, there were strikes across whole industries and uh, that uh, that ended more or less in 1991 with the introduction of enterprise bargaining. The problem with enterprise bargaining, which has really uh, stuffed the unions to some extent, is the fact that if you strike against an individual company in a competitive industry, all you're doing is hurting that company and potentially sending it sending it out of business because all it does is strengthens the competitors of that company and that they improve their bargaining power. Um, so inevitably the unions want to go back to collective bargaining. That's what they want and the business, and business community does not. Uh, so there's been a bit of argy-bargy in the lead-up to the summit about that mm. and it's a bit hard to tell where it's going to end up. Mm, if they went back to a system of collective bargaining, would that sort of solve the union's problem of membership lull? Its, it's irrelevance would be fixed, would it? Well, I think it, I think it would mean that it would be more worthwhile for people to join a union because, mm. you know, they'll have, they will be able to pull out a whole industry. In that case, they've got a bit of bargaining power. I doubt that that's going to happen because there won't be a consensus about it at the uh, at the summit. Mm. Although COSBOA, which is the uh, Council of Small Business, has kind of agreed to it. The petrol stations came out and said that they are okay with collective bargaining. Uh, I mean, the, the big uh, bodies, Business Council, ACCI, AIG, 
will not agree to it. So the, the government, would, if it was going to do it, would have to impose it. But businesses are generally screaming about wanting more people. Mm. So they, they're just they're complaining that there aren't enough migrants coming in. Mm. So how will that be addressed? Do you think the, the, the low unemployment rate, the lack of workers here, I mean, will business get what they want in terms of migration numbers? There's talk of uh, an increase in migration of 40,000. The permanent migration is capped at 160,000, so it might go up to 200, I guess. It's possible. Mm. The other problem is with all this is that um, uh, migrants tend to go shopping and have somewhere to live and they drive the cars and, you know, basically they increase demand. And so immigration tends to increase demand and... Uh, increased demand for jobs and so that therefore, you know, it's it's sort of a net figure. It's a, you know, you get 40,000, that doesn't mean that you're going to have 40,000 new people filling up those jobs. That's going to actually lead to more job vacancies. And the job vacancies number, the last time the Bureau of Statistics looked, was 480,000, which was almost as many as there are unemployed people. And so even if they did increase the number of migrants to, by 40,000, uh, it would take 10 years to work through the vacancies. Mm-hmm. Do the unions want that, Alan? They really want, don't they, a, a, an increase in wages. That's why they want collective bargaining. Well, that, but they certainly don't want a flood of migrants coming in because they rightly believe that um, the Howard government uh, increased immigration in 2006 I think basically doubled it from 100,000 to 200,000 a year at the time uh, as an industrial policy to to suppress wages and it worked. Mm. So one of the reasons we've had no wages growth um, for 15 years or very little wages growth for 15 years is because of the high level of immigration. So the unions are very wary about that. So this summit, it's trying to get a consensus between business and, and workers between business and unions, 142 people are going to be there, as you say, kind of around the number that go to a wedding. Is there going to be this consensus, do you think, or rather will there be a winner and a loser? Um, Look, I think that everybody at the summit will be keen to give the impression of consensus and, you know, we'll be saying all the right things. So I think that it'll be a nice event and everyone will be, I don't think there'll be an argument but I think at the end of it, the, the government will still have to make a decision. There won't be kind of some deal nutted out between business and unions that they then go to the government and say, OK, here's what we want uh, together. I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, it really is going to be a talk fest, mm. um, which is nothing, there's nothing wrong with that, getting together and having a talk. But when companies have off-sites all the time, you know, they go and have an off-site and everyone just kind of has a talk. It's nothing wrong with that at all. Uh, it's about time we did have some talking. Well, let's let's hope, Helen, that they have a nice dinner at the end. Well, in fact, um, most weddings, what you do at the end is um, <laughs> is dance to John Farnham doing "You're the Voice," which is well, fantastic, we... really. And and uh, and we all wish Johnny Farnham the best coming out of his <laughs> illness. <laughs> we do, and if they dance to John Farnham at the end, I hope the cameras are there. <laughs> That's right. Thanks, Helen. My pleasure. Alan Kohler is the finance guy on ABC TV's 7pm News. While the opposition leader Peter Dutton won't be going to the summit, his New South Wales state counterpart Dominic Perrottet will be turning up. 
This episode was produced and mixed by Chris Dengate. Additional production by Sydney Peed and Flint Duxfield. Our supervising producer is Stephen Smiley. I'm Sam Hawley. ABC News Daily will be back again tomorrow. You can find all our episodes of the podcast on the ABC Listen app. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.